I would ask that you look into your bulletin. I do have an outline for you, a fill-in. Some of you have been asking for this. Here it is. It may not be as comprehensive as you may like it to be, but there are some. uh, Hopefully, you'll be able to find a working pencil on the back of the pew in front of you, or you may have a pen. I want you to turn to Psalms 95 this morning. Psalms 95, the... title is on the screen behind me, in front of you. Worship, the ultimate expression of Thanksgiving. And by the way, happy belated Thanksgiving. Uh, Did not have the opportunity to fellowship with you um, on Sunday when we celebrated a meal together. I was in Philadelphia with my family. Uh, But I was certainly thinking of each and every one of you. This message this morning, although it carries with it a Thanksgiving theme, it's not going to be your traditional Thanksgiving message. I'm sure my brother Roy um, shared with you um, some points along those lines. Uh, I want to try a different approach here this morning. Psalms 95, say amen when you find it. Psalms 95, read with me or follow along with me. It it reads as follows. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test And put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. Father, we thank you this morning for this particular passage of Scripture, and we thank you for... The wonderful truths, the wonderful principles you are going to share with us this morning. Help us to hear with our ears, but more importantly, Lord God, help us to understand with our hearts and to seek with due diligence to apply these things to our lives. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Traditionally, this is the time of year when so many of us take time off from our busy, busy schedules from our busy lives to celebrate the, this Thanksgiving season. Not just the Thanksgiving season, but the, but the Christmas season as well. Um, we, we make sacrifices. We, we make sure we have the allotted time to fellowship with one another, to spend time with our family members and friends. And, and, and it's a wonderful thing to actually take time off to do that. It's one of the long weekends out of the year when in this Western culture we set aside time to show gratitude towards one another, and it amounts to a, a wonderful festive time. How many truly appreciate this time of year? 
I, I love this time of year. I love, I love the food. I love the, the, the lights. I love the, the trimmings. I love everything that we do during this time of year. <clears throat> a time when we're able to spend time with our families and friends over turkey dinners and, and all those other wonderful treats that we enjoy during this time of year. Uh, there are some statistics, actually. I was doing a little research, and I learned that according to the TSA, the Transportation Security um, Administration or agency, they said that last year, 25 million people traveled through airports in this country alone. 25 million people. And they, they predicted that the number will go up by at least 5%. For this year, I haven't seen the numbers yet, but they were predicting 26.8 million people through airports this year alone and an increase of 5% every year thereafter. I mean, that to me is extraordinary and it actually says a lot about how people appreciate this season. Nevertheless, my goal this morning is to talk about Thanksgiving from a different perspective. This lesson if you have your outline in front of you, this is an opportunity to fill in. This lesson is about an internal evaluation of our gratitude toward God. This lesson is, an about, is about an internal evaluation of our gratitude toward God. And with regard to the title this morning, I think it's extremely fitting uh, to that end, the worship the ultimate expression of thanksgiving. What better topic is there besides worship when, when we look in terms of trying to char characterize the heart of an honest believer? When I think in terms of worship, or rather when I think in terms of thanksgiving, it, my mind and my heart go to that one word, worship. In fact, <clears throat> we're coming to the end of this year. And you know that our theme has been intentional worship throughout this year. And in fact, the signature passage that we use to that end is taken from John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And that's the reason why we selected that passage. But because we are a church who believe wholeheartedly on this idea of intentional worship. So as we begin, I want to challenge you this morning with a thought. How do you view your relationship with the Lord? In terms of worship, how do you view your relationship with the Lord? Is it casual, like a buddy-buddy relationship? Or is it spiritual, rooted in holiness? How have we allowed society today to shape our view of God it matters how we view Him because ultimately it will determine how we manage our lives. It's another fill-in opportunity for you in your notes. It matters how we view Him because ultimately it will determine how we manage our lives. Number one, whether we retain our conservative views. How we view God during this time of year, or how we view God during every day He blesses us with life, will determine whether we retain our conservative views, or number two, we lose them to what Paul the Apostle referred to as the deceitfulness of sin. How many of you know that when we, when we live life, because life is not easy, life is not 
free of problems and difficulties. In fact, life is extremely challenging. It, it, it's, it's one thing to think in terms of the trouble that exists in the world that beats us down. But it's another thing altogether different to deal with the issues that, that flow from our hearts. The sin, that the sinful nature that every single one of us possess. How many know you have a sinful nature? I don't need the enemy to bother me. I mean, I got my own problems. I'm able to generate problems of my own because of this sinful nature that I bear on a daily basis. And so I know that it's my responsibility as a believer to make sure that I, that my worship is where it ought to be with respect to my relationship with my God. Point number one this morning is a call to worship. And I want you to look at the first two verses in our text this morning. Verses 1 and 2. And think in terms of submission. Think in terms of submission to God. The verses read, Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. This is a call to worship. And it's not just a principle that you and I as believers are somehow supposed to apply to our lives during this time of year alone. No, on the contrary. The author of this particular passage was making a powerful point about the heart of an honest believer. A person who has said with intentionality, I'm giving my life over to the God who created me. I believe that He lives. I believe that He exists. And I'm going to honor Him with my substance, with every facet, with every element of my life. Now I want you to notice in the text that four times the author cries out for corporate worship. And I know that point actually applies to individual worship as well. But he was writing a psalm out, or a song, and they were singing this publicly. And to the congregation, four times he mentions the words, let us, let us, let us, let us. It's a, it's a clarion call for corporate worship. It's the idea, look to your outline again, it's the idea of number one, praising and making a commitment to the God who created us. Again, it's the idea of praising and making a commitment to the God who created us. This is extremely important because it's a special type of acknowledgement of God's existence. Did you hear that? It's a special type of acknowledgement of God's existence. We are not supposed to trivialize the existence of the Almighty God. It's supposed to be meaningful. There should be some substance in there, in our hearts and in our minds. And I know, I'm saying this carefully because I know that I'm preaching to a choir. I, I, I know that I'm preaching to a people who thoroughly understand this. <clears throat> God is real. And we ought to worship Him as such. I want you to consider for a moment the condition that, that, that the Israelites, that the Jewish people were in prior to this particular season in their lives. How many of you know that God raised up King David to do a wonderful thing in the land? Amen? He brought the nation together. He brought Israel together. And, they, and, and for there was a lot of war during His time. Yes, I understand that. Uh, but they were no longer in a place 
of rebellion where they were before King David. There was a lot of stability existing in the land during this time. Not so much prior to that when there was a whole lot of rebellion. Think of the time when God delivered them with a mighty outstretched arm from the land of Egypt. And these were people that found themselves in the wilderness and they found themselves going in circles because of their rebellion. Experts say the trip should have taken anywhere between 8 to 11 days. I don't know, maybe roughly two weeks to make it from Egypt to the land of promise. And most of them never made it in. And why is that? They never made it in because of the hardness of the heart. Because they lost sight of their devotion or their worship of God. They trivialized the existence of God. And this particular text actually says that they even saw the hand of God at work in their lives and they still defaulted on their responsibilities toward God. And God raised up a man by the name of David and brought perspective back into the land, if you will. Uh, and the word of God was going forth and, and people's lives were tra- changing as a result of it. But, but the point that I was making there is that because of the hardness of the heart, we lose sight of God. We end up trivializing God and we lose sight of the things that matter most in life. I'm talking about worship here this morning. The fact is a failure to worship is one of the main causes of a hardened heart. When we worship, when we fail to worship, the hardening of our hearts begins, which is repulsive to God and is destructive to us. Did you know that? A heart that fails to worship is repulsive to God and is absolutely destructive in our lives. It's one thing to know what's expected of us, but it's a totally different thing to actually live out these things. And how many of you know that as believers, we are instructed by God to know the truth, but then to actually live it out, to do something about the principles that God is constantly bombarding our lives with. Religion says it's okay, it's okay to familiarize yourself with the things of God. Christianity says it's not enough. Christianity says, yes, we need to be informed, but more importantly, we need to, we need to live out the truth of God. We need to live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just for our own good, but because of society around us. There are millions upon millions of people in society today who do not know the Jesus that you and I know. They are not experiencing the salvation that you and I are able to experience here this morning. How many have unsaved family members living under your roof? <clears throat> Maybe down the street someplace, neighbors and friends and co-workers who do not know Jesus. Every single one of us. Folks, we were created to worship God. That goes on your notes. We were created to worship God, to honor Him with our lives, and to express that ultimate type of thanksgiving to Him. And when we find our place in worship, that is when we truly begin to discover the meaning of life. It's the reason why I refer to John 4, 23 and 24, and I'm going to read these verses to you this morning. It reads, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit 
and in truth. And that, my friends, is a call to worship. The ultimate expression of thanksgiving. I, I, I love this psalm. I love the way the author began the psalm. I just absolutely love it. In fact, I don't, I think the same principle applies to every single psalm that exists. When you read the psalms, it's sort of like this clarion call. Let us worship. And, and it, it's, it was David's expression. I mean, here's a man who truly understood the significance of devoting one's life to his creator. And I absolutely appreciate that. Point number two, <clears throat> a heart of worship acknowledges God's sovereignty. And I want you to look at verses 3, 4, and 5 in Psalms 95. A heart of worship acknowledges God's sovereignty. And remember, this is, a, this is just another point. Call this a working model for the heart of a Christian, for the heart of a believer. Number one, we ought to recognize our, our need to worship God, to submit ourselves to God. And number two, acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And this is important because it gives substance to our fellowship with God. Think of this as the, yep, as the substance towards God. Verses 3, 4, and 5. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Wow, that, that to me is powerful. I never try to minimize the things that I read in Scripture. It's saying that God created everything. Not just the land, not just the water, not just you and I, the animals and everything that exists. How many of you enjoy looking up at the stars in the evening? I, I, I'm fascinated by the stars. No, I don't worship them, right? I don't look for the horoscopes in them. The devil is a liar, right? I, I don't do that. But I, I, I consider them as a hand of God, the power of God. There's a, I, think it, I think it's found in Isaiah where it says that God laid out the heavens like a blanket or like a curtain. God is powerful, He's glorious. And these verses are intended to shape our perspective about God's authority, your outline, about God's authority, His dominion, and His majesty. I'm going to read that again. These verses are intended to shape our perspective about God's authority, His dominion, and His majesty. Our proper response when we come to that place where we thoroughly understand points like this one or principles like this one, our proper response should be to humble ourselves before Him and to respect His will for our lives. At least allow God to drive us to the place where we learn to truly appreciate and respect His will for our lives. It's important to make note of that. Because Christianity is not what it's, what it's always been or what it should be. And I'm not saying that applies to any of us here. I, I like to speak in general terms because I, I, I see the condition of Christianity. We, we all do. We all have a conscience. We all know where we fail, where we're weak, and where we're strong. And, and I think it's important to remember things like this. I want to give you an illustration here. Um, 
Someone shared this with, shared this with me once before uh, about animals. This farmer, I think it's a true story. Uh, it may be a little weak in terms of making a point here, but it, it makes a point nonetheless. And there was a farmer who purchased uh, a series of animals. He bought two of each kind. I think he bought 50 pairs of animals. But he didn't buy them together. He had this large, this, this large piece of property, a corral, the whole nine yards. And he bought all of these animals. He wanted to, he, it was an evaluation, if you will. And he bought two horses, male and female, two cows, male and female, so on and so forth. And he placed these animals in, say, a hundred acres of land. And he wanted to determine whether each horse would find its opposite. Whether the male horse would find the female. So on and so forth. And he realized that by the end of the week, that's exactly what he discovered. The male horse did not settle for the female cow. And so on and so forth. Every pair found its own kind to mate with, to, to fellowship with. Whatever, however you want to look at that, right? The point is that they did not violate God's determined course for their lives. They stayed within the parameters that God had for them. And when we think in terms of our view of God, where are we in that regard? Because sometimes you and I as humans, we got this, this freedom, we have this passion, we have this, this devotion, we have this inclination to veer off course and to live life on our own terms. And God says that ought not to be the case. I need for you to acknowledge me. I need for you to recognize my determined will for your lives and not to deviate from it. You notice how animals do not deviate from God's purpose for their lives? I know that we have strange animals that exist in the world today. But trust me, I don't think it's because they chose one another. I think because somebody in some laboratory somewhere is experimenting and bringing different breeds and animals together, which is a crisis. <clears throat> Have you ever truly loved and respected somebody you knew you could always depend on? Have you ever truly loved and respected someone you knew you could always depend on? How many of you have people in your lives today that you know you can call upon, that you can truly depend on? And that passion and that attitude and that just that, that commitment, you know that you can make in your heart towards that individual or those individuals. I think that's the same attitude, the same passion and the same devotion that we are supposed to give to our God. The opposite would be for us to live a life of self-determination. And that's crude. It's wicked. It's contrary to what God desires of you and I. Instead, we should all, number one, in your notes, humble ourselves before the Almighty God Himself. We should all humble ourselves before the Almighty God Himself, for He is our sovereign King. And He loves us. And He wants us to devote ourselves to Him. He wants us to consecrate ourselves to Him. And this point is about acknowledging His sovereignty, His scope, His power, His dominion. His authority. God rules. He calls the shots. Amen, somebody. <clears throat> Number three, a call to reverence. And think about your level of devotion here. A call to reverence. Look at verses six, seven in your text. It says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. 
Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And notice that this is a second call to worship in this passage. The image is that of someone laying prostate, prostrate, prostrate, I said prostrate, Lord have mercy, prostrate before Him in the same way the sheep lay, okay, cut it out, cut it out, all right, cut it out. We, we're past that already. And it, it's, look at your notes. Is the idea of recognizing Jesus as Lord and Savior. All right, Michael, let me lay hands on you right now. Let me lay hands on you in Jesus' name. Thinking of, you're thinking about your prostate, right? <laughs> you need to go check it out. I need to go check mine out. Lord have mercy. Is the idea of recognizing Jesus as Lord and Savior. As Savior in that we cannot go to heaven without Him. And as Lord in that we should give Him authority or Lordship over our lives. I think that's extremely important. This is a second call to worship. It's about recognizing the reverence, creating or shaping and molding, allowing the Holy Spirit to help us to realize this reverence that we should be giving God. This is a step further from the first point, a call to worship. This is a little deeper. This is not shallow service to God. This is consecration to God. This is solemn. This is holiness. This is consecration. This is awesome. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's reverence right there. That's devotion right there. And this point is about fundamental devotion. It's not about religion. It's not about a fad. It's not about culture. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about going through the motions. I think Christianity that stands still misses this point right here. I think when we, when we come to church on Sundays and we believe that, that we are done with our responsibility in terms of our service to God, when, when the service is over and then the rest of the week we go about our own business, I think that's the Christian, Christianity that misses the mark with regard to reverence towards God. Reverence. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The point is about seeking God first. Putting him first at all points and at all times. God wants to do a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful and extraordinary thing in our lives. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> point number four. The last point. Harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. Think of this as a warning to guard against backsliding. As a warning to guard against backsliding. Look at verses 7 through 11. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof Though they had seen my work, 
For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest. Extraordinary. It is believed by some that the author refers to two instances in ancient history when God's people refused to humble themselves before God Himself. And the result was, as I said earlier, they died in the wilderness. As a detail to that story, everybody 19 and older died in the wilderness. Or rather, 20 and older. I think it was 19 and under, Roy. Can you correct me there? 19 and under. <laughs> Roy said, don't, don't ask me, bro. I'm not preaching this morning. I believe 20 and older died in the wilderness. That's a lot of people who died in the wilderness. Why? The point is because of the hardening of the heart. Because of the hardening of the heart. And the truth is that we are all capable. Look at your notes. We are all capable of the same thing. And why is that? Because we are all fundamentally the same. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have the very same nature that they did. They wrestled with the, the, the reality of devoting themselves to God. And they literally saw the hand of God at work in their lives. And they still missed it. How much more you and I today? The idea here is that we must be obedient to God. Your notes. We must be obedient to God. I want you to listen to these powerful passages that I'm going to read to you right now. Taken from chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Listen carefully. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Our hearts are not exempt. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2 reads, Therefore, while the promise... And by the way, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 were the verses I just read. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13... Now I want to read Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It's important for us to hear the word of God. But it's even more important for us to appropriate the truth of the Word of God and to run with these things, to live these things out in our lives. So my encouragement to you is, please take care of yourselves. Guard your hearts from evil. Proverbs 3.23 says, guard your heart, or rather Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all things, for out of it flow the issues of life. The substance of life, the issues of life. The essence of life flows from our hearts. And if we are not careful to guard our hearts, we will be deceived by the deceitfulness of our own sin. How many of you have ever been encouraged by somebody in your life? Say, I want you to follow, especially uh, uh, an ignorant parent back in the days, right? 
Follow your heart, my son. Follow your heart, my daughter. Have you ever heard that? Have you, have you been encouraged to follow your heart? The reality is that we're supposed to lead our hearts, not to follow our hearts, because our hearts are evil. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart talks a lot about the condition of the heart. It says it's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's a reference to our sinful nature. And so that's why it's important for you to understand, you and I rather, to understand the truth of Scripture, the truth of the Word of God. Apply these things to our lives so that from that base point, we can lead our hearts, we can lead our lives in a way that pleases God. First Peter 5 says, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. I want you to picture that by considering in your mind, just use your imagination. Consider somebody with an axe out in the woods. He's already picked out his tree, the one, the one tree that he wants to knock down, the one tree he wants to take over to his home. He's picked it out. Now he's swinging the axe repeatedly at the base of the tree to sever it from its roots. What happens to a tree when you sever it from its roots? It dies. It dies. And that's the same picture that we can, that we can, we can use in un, when trying to understand Satan's approach Toward us. He's hacking at us repeatedly, repeatedly with an intent to sever us away from the truth of the Word of God because he knows that if he can succeed in that regard, we will slowly, slowly wither and lose our Christ centeredness. I want to summarize and close. Look at your notes. A call to worship is about a commitment that we should have with the Lord. It's about honoring Him as our Creator. A call to worship is about a commitment we should have with the Lord. Number two, a heart that acknowledges, acknowledges God's sovereignty is about recognizing His majesty. Not only did God create everything, But he also owns everything. And we belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 talks about that. This idea that we were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that we belong to him. And that we as believers need to glorify God in our bodies, in our souls, in our spirits, with our substance, with our families, with everything that God blesses us with. Number three, a call to reverence. Is about our need to be constantly devoted to him. A call to reverence is about our need to be constantly devoted to him. It's about acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. Not just as Savior. As Lord. Someone who rules and governs our lives. Someone we follow. Number four is harden not your hearts. And this is about a warning concerning the need to be obedient to God. Our hearts were hardened if we are not careful. As individuals, as I close, I want to invite the, if they're still here, the worship team still here, I want to invite you to come up at this time as we move towards 
closing out our time here together this morning, I want you to think about the things that you have heard here this morning. They may have been simple. I try not to develop the attitude when I'm studying where somehow I have to reinvent the wheel to say it in some different way or whatever. Just not going to do that. But I think God has spoken very, very important things here this morning. And there's a part of us, there's a part of us which appreciates the things that we heard here this morning. And that part of us will assist us in making the necessary changes or at the very least appreciating these things and appropriating some of these things in our lives. But there's a part of us that's going to quickly move towards dismissing some of the things that we heard here this morning. And that part of us will compel us when we walk out these doors to totally denounce the principles that we've learned here this morning. And I want to challenge you to be diligent here this morning. Be diligent. And remember, there's an adversary that exists to destroy our lives. But there's a God in heaven who wants us to learn more of Him and to live out this wonderful, wonderful life that He has blessed us with. I want you to stand with me this morning, church. As we worship together this last song. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning for this text. And for this model that you have blessed us with. For these principles. These things that we can apply to our lives to sort of give us substance as believers. You first talked to us about submission, about worship. Then you talk to us about your sovereignty, the fact that you own everything, you created everything. And it gives us substance. When, when I worship you, Lord, I think about all of those things. You, you're not my buddy. You're not just my friend. You are my God. You created everything. You are sovereign, Lord God. And thirdly, the second call to worship. It has to do with reverence. It's, it's deeper than the initial call to worship. It's deeper than just simply coming to church and singing a few songs. It's about consecration. It's about intentional worship. And these are the things that you're saying to us this morning. These are the things that we need to apply to our lives every single day that you bless us with life. Then you give us a warning to close off the message. To guard our hearts, to be careful, to be vigilant, to appreciate the things that you, you teach us, you provide. You want us to be mindful of the enemy that exists in this world, as well as the flesh within us. Always vying for our undivided attention to pull us and to drive us away from the things that pertain to God. And I pray that you help us here this morning, Lord God. We are a growing church. We are a thriving church. But we need to sink our teeth into the things that pertain to God. Help us, Lord God, to do this. To forsake the pain of the past, the transition of the past, the aches and pains and all the difficulties, Lord God, that we as a church have endured. And to somehow refocus on the things that really matter. And to press in and to press forward, Lord God. With your purpose for our lives. We pray these blessings, Lord God.
in Jesus' name. God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for this time in your presence, for this time that you give us to come in here as a family. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for giving us wisdom from your word. As we go our separate ways, may you be with us by your Holy Spirit. May you encamp around us in a very powerful way. 
May you help us, Father God, to lead lives pleasing in your sight. We commit ourselves to you now. We devote ourselves to you now. I pray for my brothers and my sisters. And I also pray, Father, for the families they represent. There are so many sickly among us. Please visit them. There are so many who are rebellious. Please visit them. There are so many we are trying to reach and minister to. Please visit them, Lord God. Bless your people, Lord, in a very special way. These things we pray, giving you glory and honor. In Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Remember that next week we will have a worship band with us and they will use the entire time. What's the name again? Bluegrass Brethren. Bluegrass Brethren. They're the brethren like us.